Nick was singing about, and we were all singing about the Holy Spirit, and just a, a footnote on that. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit moves inside you. He takes up residence. And you think that um, Jesus said, hey, it's good that I'm going back to the Father because when I go, I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit is active on the planet. First of all, He convicts people. He lets people know that they need Jesus. They need a Savior. And so we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ And then the Holy Spirit moves inside of us, and that's where the rebuilding process takes place. I was thinking, man, on we were going towards East 18151 on Friday, and um, you know, there's construction out there. Have you noticed? And you're thinking, what in the world are they doing all these construction deals over Fourth of July week? You know, when people are traveling. You traveled to get here today. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, man. He is working in you. And when you put up a finish sign prematurely and you tell the Lord, man, I don't need any more work, you're missing out on so much. Because, man, I can tell you, God is still working in me. And to know that that's happening gets you fired up. That the God of creation, the one who created you, is still working inside of you, conforming you into the very image of Jesus Christ. Man, that's cool. Yeah, man. That gets me fired up, man. I have, I have, it just gets me fired up that God is alive. We don't have to go to a museum somewhere to go find him, man. He's living and he's active. And we have to let them. So don't get to the point where you think, man, I'm cool enough spiritually. You know, I can give God a break. Don't give God a break. He loves the work in you. And so say yes to the Holy Spirit and let him do his work. And until Jesus comes, man, that's when we will be complete. Uh, Until then, keep working, Lord, right? Keep working. Keep, uh, Keep the deal going. So, 4th of July is on Tuesday, Independence Day, and um, of course, Daniels, we'll talk about him in a moment, but here we are. Uh, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I know history is being rewritten, um, unfortunately. But when you do your homework and you drill down and you find out how this country was formed, and honestly, all you need to do is take a tour through Washington, D.C., and you see Bible verses and um, quotes about God. And uh, friends, God had his hand on this country. And unfortunately, over time, countries tend, like Israel, push God out and start conforming to what other religions or forms of religion are are doing, and we need the Lord. We need the Lord. George Washington, check out what he had to say. It's impossible to rightly govern a nation without God in the Bible, our first president. So I think that answers your question, right? Yeah. So we've settled that. Listen, Israel never was a perfect nation, even though God said, They are my people. America is not a perfect nation. There has never been a perfect nation. There never will be until we get to heaven. But America has always endeavored to correct its errors. And um, I respect that about a nation. So we need to continue to pray. At Awaken tonight, we will be praying for our nation as well. Um. We need prayer, right? We need to pray. We need to to pray for our personal lives too. Yeah. Dave and Jenny, good to see you. Came all the way back from Alabama, man. Yeah, we missed you guys.
We are, as you've already seen, we are um, going to be moving into the book of Daniel chapter 2. Uh, it's a big day, friends, for the history of Life Church. We are in Daniel 2. Yeah, I know some of you thought we will be eternally in Daniel 1 until Jesus comes. And uh, so we're turning, the, we're turning the page today. <laughs> and I can tell you, man, Daniel 2 is very cool. It's very cool. We hope you have your Bibles. Um, I brought my Bible. It's good to have your Bibles with you, man. I was telling somebody uh, Friday night at the camp out, well, before the fireworks, before the camp out, um, that just reading, I've been reading through the book of Colossians this uh, past week, and uh, just having God put light on that book, it's so good. It's been challenging to me. And again, when we I've already mentioned this when we allow God to work in our lives and when he uses his word. It's, um, it's so valuable that we as followers of Jesus take time to read it, get to know him better, and let his spirit change us in the process. So, so that's, um, yeah, Daniel 2, that's where we're going. And this chapter is about dreams. It's uh, plural, singular. Um, I don't know if you've, you, you guys dream? <laughs> I was thinking about that this morning when I got up. I, I know I dreamt last night. I just don't remember the dreams because uh, there were moments when maybe I woke up and I, I was dreaming, but I couldn't tell you what I was dreaming. Are you the same way? Maybe you have that same problem. Um, but have you ever had a disturbing dream? Um, sometimes, you know, when that happens, we would call that a nightmare. And so I, I have a flashback, um, you know, to look at this baby here. Um, when you wake up and realize you have two more hours of sleep, man, that's a happy camper right there, Right? Happy camper. <laughs> that happens to me from time to time, too, you know. So, um, But anyway, we're going to uh, look at the map, a map, a map. Um, this is uh, where I grew up. Um, uh, we'll have a map here. Here we are. So this is Chicago. Everybody knows where Chicago is. And Harvey, Harvey, Illinois, that's where I grew up. Um, and I, I want to bring you there because that's where I had nightmares. Uh, I had dreams that were very disturbing as a kid. Um, and there was a reason for that, and we'll get into that in a moment. Um, so this was my house in Harvey. And not... My house was 14524. I could not find a picture of my house, but this was like my house. And when I was a kid, I thought everybody in the world lived in a house like that. You know, a small bungalow, three bedrooms, one bathroom, and you had a basement. And so, um, going, so anyway, you see this sidewalk? There's a sidewalk that comes from out here, it goes to the backyard, and you take a right. And there's a, a door in the back, and you walk up five stairs, and you get into our kitchen. And once you get into our kitchen, uh, my bedroom was right off there, and I shared a, be uh, a bedroom with my brother, David. Uh, so we, we grew up together. The reason why I am going through all this detail um, is because... Uh, talking about disturbing dreams, uh, it seemed like every night, reoccurring nightmare, reoccurring dream, um, when I was in bed, my bed was next to the windows, uh, but I, I had this, like a monster was coming down my street. Every night, he was coming down my street. 
And then he, he stopped. Not that dude, but that, that's a happy monster. Let's go back to my house again. But that sidewalk, he always took a left. So he was coming from there, and when he got to my house, he always went into my backyard, and he came up the stairway into the kitchen, and he always came into my bedroom. Well, anyway, my bedroom was in the back of the house. My parents' bedroom was in the front of the house. And so there were many nights I would take a trip from my bedroom to my parents' bedroom. They had a, they had a very comfortable chair in there. So I didn't crawl in bed with them. I just sat in the chair, you know. I don't even think they knew I was there. I just, it was a safe place, you know. And so uh, I just remember going in there and sitting in there. And, you know, as a, as a kid, you, you think about, man, this is, this is weird, you know. Reoccurring dream, reoccurring nightmare. This monster's out to get me. And... Um, and then when I got old enough to realize we, five blocks away from our house was a steel factory. And um, this isn't it exactly. Look at this dude right here. He's on break. Um, but that's, a, that's kind of the factory. We have another shot here. It was a steel factory. <clears throat> and so on the, on the third shift, when I got old enough, we were driving by there one night. And I heard this pounding, and I realized it's coming from the steel factory. So when I was a little dude in my bedroom, that pounding was, it was the steps of the monster. Boom, 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 he was coming closer. You could see my imagination, man, it just took off, traumatized me. And so the booming of the factory, and I realized, I can't believe it, man. I've been wasting years of my life with this nightmare that this monster always came to visit me. And it's because of this factory. And I just kind of smiled, you know, like, isn't it crazy how our imagination can get away from us? And anyway, when we talk about dreams, Nebuchadnezzar had... A pretty brutal dream. And so let's go to Daniel, um, chapter 2. And Daniel, um, verse 1. One night, during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. One night, one night. So, just like me, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, the man who made Time Magazine cover several times. The second year of his reign, he had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. And um, with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your power, your might, your love, the pursuit that you have for us, Lord. We thank you for your word, how relevant it is for us. And we thank you for the life of Daniel and how we can learn from him, not only today, but in the future. And so as we study your word, Lord, open it to us, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will be active and putting the light on every area of our life that we can identify with Daniel and his team. And so, thank you for our time together. I pray for every person watching online, those of everybody in the family room, those in the auditorium. Lord, may we rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 2 of Daniel is really about a dream, um, and we'll drill down on that as we move along through, through the chapter. Um, but before we get to that dream, just a, a quick reminder that Daniel, uh, along with his friends, um, had been captured by the Babylonians, and they were brought to Babylon uh, 
not because they wanted to go on a vacation, but they were basically hijacked. They were kidnapped. They were POWs, so to speak, leaving their homeland and, and going to the most pagan country in the world in that day. And they went under a three-year indoctrination program to retrain them, hopefully, to re- get them thinking the way the Babylonians thought instead of thinking about the one true God, the way they were raised, their upbringing, their heritage, the, the legacy that they were wanting to bring. And we see that Daniel, uh, his name meaning God is my judge, Hananiah, God is gracious to me, Mishael, who is like my powerful God. There's a song something like that, isn't there? Who is like my God? There is, but we won't sing it. And Azariah, God has helped me. Has God helped you? Yeah, we could make that our middle name now, Azariah. God has helped me. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that Babylon, that culture, they they were pushing to tell these young men, 15-year-old teenagers, um, what they wanted them to become. But, but... They drew a line in the sand and said, nope, you can't change who we are. We are rock solid in believing in the one true God. And he has made a difference in our lives and we're going to live for him. We are gods, man. And they were resolute about that. So how do we resist the world's titanic pressure that it's putting on each one of us today? Well, the same way Daniel did. And um, we... we we choose, we decide every single day who we're going to live for, just like Daniel. The slide on the screen is just a quick summary of the locations that we're going to be going to in this chapter. Verses 1 through 13, it's, we're camping out in Nebuchadnezzar's throne room. Verses 14 through 16, Nebuchadnezzar's palace. Um, verses 17 through 23, Daniel's home. Uh, 24 and 25, back to the palace. And 26 through 49, um, Nebuchadnezzar's throne room. So uh, you see those, what's in the middle? Daniel's house. That's Daniel's house. So you could say that's, um, you know, we've we've got the the bread, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's throne room, top and bottom. And Daniel's house is the turkey on the sandwich. It's the, it's the centerpiece, really, because this is where cool things are going to happen as we, as we look. And so, um, number one in your notes, I can't sleep. And we can identify with Nebuchadnezzar because that seems to be an issue in our, in our culture in America today. People are struggling with sleeping. And you talk to people and, you know, they're trying to find ways to help them sleep and et cetera. But uh, I can't sleep. Nebuchadnezzar put his hand up. That's me. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. And um, so the story begins in Babylon, and we see that the king had trouble sleeping, which is kind of a weird thing when you think this, this is the man, the, the most powerful man in the world. He's the king. It, um It says that he's in a second year of his reign, and what that means is it's a second year of his reigning alone because he co-led with his father um, two years uh, prior to that. So so, um, he's in his fifth year reigning, and we see that this is the fourth year of captivity for Daniel. So now Daniel's around 19 years old, and um, he's going to be put... mm, under some pressure once again, like he was in chapter 1. It was one of those nights, like all of us have, where we do struggle sleeping. Um, And so maybe you have a bad dream, you wake up and you can't go back to sleep again. And Nebuchadnezzar's tossing and turning over and over again, and um, he's, he's struggling. And he's thinking, man, something's off here. We look at disturbing dreams um, that literally means to strike as a hammer with a hammer on an anvil. And so 
to beat something persistently. You could say that's kind of like, reminds me of a migraine headache where you've got that pounding and it's relentless and you, and you can't find relief. Well, this disturbing dream was pounding, uh, hammering the thoughts of Nebuchadnezzar and he couldn't rest. He couldn't settle. And so you could translate that verse to say it's a low grade fear and edge. It's like a Nebuchadnezzar spirit, like a hammer awakening him with a jolt that left his heart pounding. You know, his, you know, where your heart starts to race and you can, you can almost see your heart wanting to jump out of your chest. Boom! You know, under that kind of pressure, it's extreme. And I think that put a lot of fear in Nebuchadnezzar. He figured the gods were trying to communicate something to him and he had to try and figure out what they were saying. I like the way Max Lucado puts it, you know, in our world today. He says it's a low-grade fear, an edginess, a dread, a cold wind that won't stop howling. It's not so much a storm as the certainty that one is coming, always coming. Sunny days are just an interlude. You can't relax. You can't let your guard down. All peace is temporary, short-term. It's not the sight of a grizzly like this, but the suspicion of one or two or ten, maybe behind every tree, behind every turn, inevitable. It's just a matter of time until the grizzly leaps out of the shadows, bears its fangs, and gobbles you up along with your family, your friends, your bank account, your pets, and your country. There's trouble out there. So you don't sleep well. You don't laugh often. You don't enjoy the sun. You don't whistle as you walk. Anybody whistle while you're walking these days? Huh? Yeah. I like the way David put it in Psalm 4.8, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Isn't that cool? You've got a, a sleeping king, David, and he meets the king who never sleeps. King Jesus never sleeps. He's always awake. In Psalm 121.3, he will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. And so when you're struggling, maybe you're struggling getting to sleep, just be reminded, I'm in good company. Because God doesn't sleep either. And when you look at opportunities, you know, for those awake moments, you can pray, you can worship the Lord. Um, There's a lot of good things that can happen during those moments, early morning moments. You can take a look at the word dreams in verse 1. That's plural. Um, It says... One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams, plural, that he couldn't sleep. And then you go to verse 3, it's a singular dream. And so apparently this, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, was having a recurring dream. It was the same dream over and over again. And um, it plagued him with insomnia. Because he, it, it just, the, the, the form of that dream got his attention and he was trying to figure out, man, What is going on? What is going on? And here's the cool thing. God was giving Nebuchadnezzar this dream. He was working in the life of a pagan king. Isn't that interesting? You would think that God would give a dream, you know, to to his people. But instead, he gives a dream to King Nebuchadnezzar to try and get his attention, which he did. And Nebuchadnezzar was looking in all the wrong places for the answer. And uh, it was God behind the scenes. God is working. God is working, friends. We know um, that the Lord gave Pharaoh two dreams back in Genesis 41. He was another Gentile ruler. And Joseph interpreted those dreams for him. So this is consistent, really, with the character of God. And um, the Lord in his wisdom... Think about this. In the scheme of world history, God 
took Daniel as a 15-year-old, transplanted him in Babylon because he was going to use Daniel to interpret this dream for the most powerful man in the world. And so often we freak out, man, if things don't go our way, our plans, we have it all figured out. And God doesn't care about me. He's forgotten about me. But Daniel never had that mindset. He figured God is in control. I know there's a purpose and a plan. And God moved Daniel, boom, 900 miles away from Jerusalem to be in Babylon to interpret this dream for a pagan king. Isn't that cool? That's so cool, man. God working in the hearts of men and women around the world. A man who is so pagan and evil and corrupt because God's going after him. It's like he's going, you know, he went after me. I'm so glad he came after me. God still uses dreams to communicate. Today, this article just uh, last month came out in the Christian Broadcasting Network. Missionaries report Muslims meeting Jesus in dreams in levels we have never seen in 1,400 years. Two missionaries giving firsthand reports of Muslims coming to um, Christian faith after encountering Jesus Christ in their dreams. They said God is answering the prayers of Christians who are praying for Muslims. They admit any Islamic country is a dangerous place for a Christian, and there are few opportunities for open evangelism, but they report Muslims are meeting Jesus in their dreams and converting to Christianity at an alarming rate. They said, I would even say, It's the normal experience. It would be accurate to say that Muslims are responding to Jesus in levels we have never seen. Dreams are are contributing to revelation as an assurance, the process of evangelism and conversion. So many Muslims reject Islam, but know that to follow Jesus will cost them everything. Dreams of Jesus encourage them along the way and give them the comfort that Jesus will be with them though it costs them everything to follow him. You see how these folks are fired up hmm? in Islamic countries, man, to be able to live for Jesus, even though it costs them everything. We in America, we just put it on cruise control. You know, I'm good. I'm good. Millions of Muslims all over the world are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And in many instances, this is happening because of dreams, visions, and other supernatural encounters. In areas of the globe, Christianity is experiencing absolutely explosive growth, even in the midst of horrendous persecution. Here's a pastor, a former Muslim, and now a Christian street pastor who works among the hill tribes, northeast part of Bangladesh. He said, in the last 12 months, more than 20,000 Muslims have converted to Christianity. And this is becoming a real problem for the Muslims. I'm going to Colossians 1 here because this hit me last week. Verse 6, listen to this. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's going out to Islamic nations, we can say. Paul is writing this to the church in Colossae, but friends, over 2,000 years later, the good news that came to you is going, still going out all over the world. And you get to be part of it. Woo! Man! So coming to church on Sunday morning to do your spiritual duty, man, is not cutting it. Your God is alive. He's active, man. He's moving all over the planet right now. And if you're bored with your faith in Christ, ask God to forgive you, man. Get involved in what he is doing because he wants to work in and through you. Man. Oh, the good news. It's going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Is your life being changed by the Lord? Huh? Do you see that happening? Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard 
and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Verse 10, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. I love that. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Are you knowing God better and better, friend? Is that happening in your walk with him? Because I'll tell you what, that'll get you fired up when you get to know him better and better. Number two, I need help. Help! Help! Verse two, what does the king do when he can't sleep? He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me. That was a disturbing dream. Remember the hammer? And I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, which is interesting, friends. Just a footnote here. We're in verse 4 of chapter 2. From from here on out, through chapter 7 in Daniel, it's written in the original in Aramaic. It goes from Hebrew to Aramaic. And then in chapter 8, it goes back to Hebrew. Just a thought. Long live the king. Tell us the dream. And we would tell you what it means. That's only common sense, isn't it? You know, I mean, you think, tell me the dream and we'll tell you what it means. Uh, but the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. You know, he's not whistling while he's walking. If you don't tell me what my dreams was... And what it means, you will be torn from limb to limb. Ooh, you serious? Is he serious? He's serious. We'll we'll rip you apart, man. Not only that, we're going to go to your houses, and we'll be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. I'll put you on the front of of cable news, man. You know? We'll make you famous. Just tell me the dream (laughs) and tell me what it means. You see, the king's not relenting here. In verse 7, they, they, the astrologers, said again, Please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And then the king, he kind of gets his finger into their faces right here. He says, I know what you're doing. I know what's going on. You're stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. Have you ever been in a position where you felt doomed? You lost all hope? So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. But, I, but tell me the dream and then I'll, I'll know that you can tell me what it means. And the astrologers... They didn't give up either. They replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician's enchanter or astrologer. And the king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream and they do not live here among people. The light went on in these astrologers. They noticed their... um, he calls the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. He had four different groups, you know, different offices in the, in the White House wing. And um, he called them in. And the astrologers seemingly are, they become the spokespeople out of these four groups because they're the only ones that are talking back to the king. These four groups, friends, are trained in the occult. This is not some, you know, put this puzzle together, the sun's shining, you know, a great day. No, these are dark people. They've been trained in the, in the occult. And if anybody could tell dreams, they thought it would be us. We're the smartest, darkest people in Babylon. And um, we see in verse 3, uh, 
I have dreams, it troubles me, and you must tell me what it means. In Babylon, the people believed that the gods spoke to the people through dreams. That was their way of communicating. It all happened through dreams. And so um, the king would normally tell these dudes, hey, this is what I dreamt. They would go back to their libraries, pull out the books where they were trained under, look up the topic that the king was dealing with, come back and say, okay, this is what we're interpreting your dream to mean. And so we see in this text the king is realizing that these guys could lie to him. They could mess with him. They could come up with some answer that would be like a pat on the back. Everything's going to be cool, king, you know? And he didn't want that. He wanted the truth. And I can tell you this morning, friend, careful. I don't understand how people are messing around with lies and myths in their walk of life. Why are you wasting your time? It's not the truth. You do not, we we could take a vote here this morning, and we could say, how many of you like to be lied to? And I think most of us would raise our hand and say, not me, man, not me. And yet so many of us are living our lives under a lie. Because we're listening to our culture. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan leader, and there was something going on in the inside of him where he wanted to hear the truth and nothing but the truth. And friends, this gets me fired up as well, to be able to live for the one true God who doesn't lie, who keeps his promises. What a gift, what a privilege that is for us to be living our lives like that. We can trust him. We're not being lied to. And so we're all in. We go all in with a God like that. Not tiptoe around the daisies, man, you know, to see if this stuff works. It works. Because there's a history behind followers of Christ. And so there's a, there's a dialogue. You can see it. You know, they come back and they kind of banter back and forth. And... Um, uh, <laughs> Verse 5, the king says, I'm serious. He's so serious, he's got the bulldozers waiting out in the backyard. You know, you want to see how serious I am? You hear that bulldozer revving up out there? After you get ripped apart, we're going to destroy your house. We're going to blow it up with the bulldozer. Would that get your attention? Hmm? I think so. You know, they thought, man, this king, I I wonder if he had too much pizza last night. What's wrong with this dude? He's never done this to us before. Mm. Nebuchadnezzar gives an impossible request, really, humanly speaking, and it is impossible. And, um, And so back and forth, second time, third time. And um, verse 9, if you don't tell me the dream, you're doomed, you... So you have conspired to tell me lies. So many people today are relying on Facebook, on social media to get their affirmation. How many likes, right? Can I tell you those are lies? You know, those hits, whatever, you know, the likes. You can't trust those numbers. You get your affirmation from Jesus Christ, man. And so we see that Nebuchadnezzar didn't want anything made up. He wanted the truth. And finally, the astrologers in verse 10, they they put up a white flag, so to speak, in front of the king. They pulled their hankies out. No one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, that means you too, King Neb, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. It's hopeless. They admit it. Humanly speaking, they can't do it. They can't do it. 
Verse 11, the king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you their dream, and they do not even live here among the people. The, the astrologers communicated their limitations to the king. You know, we thought we were so, so cool. We, we can't help you here, king. Can't do it. Um, they said their gods, small g, notice, do not live among the people. Do not. The gods, the phony baloney gods, do not live among the people. Did you get that? If you're not living for Jesus, you're living for phony baloney gods that do not live among the people. You're wasting your time. Of course they don't exist, those false gods. And yes, they do not live among the people. Only Jesus lives among the people, the one true God. Today, we do have people who call themselves Christians who say they believe in God, but they really are Christian atheists, just like this slide. Um, I believe in God, but I live like he doesn't exist. I do believe, but I don't live like he exists. Is that you? Would you say that that's kind of where I'm at right now? That's why Jesus in Luke 6, 46, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, what do you don't do what I say? Does that make sense? Why, Why do you keep acting, trying to be spiritual on Sundays, man? You call me Lord, but you don't do what I say. Six days of the week, man. See? It's inconsistent. It's a break. There's a breach in that relationship. And, uh, man, these men were not aware of the one true God that was working behind the scenes. Man, if they could pull the veil back and realize it was the one true God that was giving this dream to the king. They didn't see it. They didn't realize that God was at work. God is working. God is working. In the United States, 125 million people believe in astrology today. 70 million read their horoscopes daily. 12 million change their behavior on what their horoscope has to say. See, they're, they're driven by horoscopes on how they live their lives. For those that might be interested in the occult, and you can take note, fortune tellers, mediums, astrologers, psychics, they may stir up a lot of fear and curiosity. They may try to supplant God and his word, but they cannot do what only God can do. They cannot do that. Like verse 10, the astrologer said, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. But we know by reading chapter 2, there is a God, capital G, who can, right? They think their gods are so big and mighty they don't mess with we humans. But we know that there is a God, don't we? And he is involved in our lives, right? Matthew 10, 29, 31. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing about it. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I mean, you can almost exhale here. That is so cool. Oh, God. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Thank you, Lord, for that. We have a God who is involved in our lives if we let him. I talked to you about my nightmare dreams as a kid. I had other ones too. Snakes under my bed. 
creepy. Fortunately, they weren't there. I thought they were. But there's also another nightmare that a lot of people have, and that's a nightmare of not being ready. Not being ready. Or you dream a dream, and maybe you're called on unexpectedly, and you're to present something, get up in front of a group of people, stand up to the microphone, uh, present your case. And that dream becomes a nightmare because, man, you're not prepared, you're not ready, right? We see in Amos 4.12, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. That's a, a flare in the air, friend. It's the truth. It's not a lie. Meeting Jesus Christ one day is your surest thing that's going to happen because Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for, to a man once to die and after this you face judgment. The moment you take your last breath, God is there. Your earth appointments, you know, you can always cancel those. You've canceled them, I've canceled them. You can do that. This can't be postponed. Prepare to meet your God. The one who gave you your life is the one you will meet at the end of your life. Think about that. And the question the Bible raises is, are you prepared? You know, are you prepared? Are you ready to meet your God at the end of the day? And some people may say, you know what? I, I've, I've been good. I've been good, man. I'm good. Good doesn't answer the question. Are you ready to meet God? Romans 3.20 says nobody's going to be justified by Observing the law, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Nobody can do that. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. It puts the light on how we need a Savior. And you think, well, everybody's carrying sin around. That's true because Romans 3.23, everybody sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's true. That's true. That's why we need a Savior. And if sin was something that we could repay, you know, maybe we could work it off over a lifetime. But that doesn't happen because sin cannot be repaid. It has to be removed. That's the only way. And so the the penalty for sin is the death penalty. It, It costs you your life, a separation from God eternally. And it can't be paid in good deeds. That The Bible tells us that's a lie if you think. That's true. It's a lie. Somebody has to die for your death penalty and my death penalty. And that's something that Jesus did. Because in verse 25, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Aren't you glad for that? People are made right with God, not by good deeds, but when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. You see it? You believe Jesus died for you. He took your place. Somebody did die. It was Jesus. He took your place, my place. He didn't deserve to die, but he took your place, my place, because he loves. And Jesus was the only one that could do that. Let's read that verse again. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Hmm. He was the sacrifice. He paid for your sin debt in full, my sin debt with his blood. And you can say this morning, Lord, I put all my hope in Jesus Christ who went to the cross in my place. I put my trust, my faith, all of it in Jesus. I believe. I believe. So, you've got an appointment with God, friend. Are you ready? Going into an eternity without Christ, that's the ultimate nightmare. That's the worst dream you could ever imagine. And if you're not sure, I wouldn't risk it another day. I would say today, today, 
I'm putting my trust in the Lord. It's looking at Colossians 1 here together. Colossians 1.21. There it is. There it is. This jumped out on me too. These, this includes you and me who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Isn't that cool? And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. He takes our sin and he gives us his holiness and righteousness so we can go to heaven to be with him forever. Isn't that cool, friend? So we don't have to have a nightmare about what's going to happen when I die, friend. We can solve that. It's been solved. It's been paid in full. Jesus, I believe in you. Father, we thank you this morning. Oh, Lord, you are so amazing to love us, to go to the cross, to pay for our sin debt in full because you want us to be where you are forever and ever. That's love. That's the truth. That's not a lie. I pray for each person here this morning, Lord, those watching online, that if they have not settled their destiny, As Amos said, be prepared to meet your God. Lord, we want to be prepared. We don't want to have a nightmare at the end of our life. I wish I would have done this. I should have done this. Lord, we're doing it right now. Jesus, I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you right here, right now. I believe you went to the cross and you paid for my sin debt in full. I believe. Become my spiritual leader today, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. And I thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. And I'm going to live for you, Lord, the rest of my days through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.